0: When I think about home, um, I like to picture myself kind of as 10 years old and I'm at, a di- I'm at, the, at the family dinner table. Uh, what was it like to sit there at the dinner table? Right? To hear um, my sisters, to hear my brothers, to feel what it was like to eat a meal next to my dad, next to my mom. To sense what it was like for them to be leading a home together. How were they feeling about our house. How are they feeling about us as kids? How are they feeling about each other? Um, you know, where um, where is your family uh, right now? Um, and when you think about a house, um, what does it mean for Westtown to be uh, a church, a family of God, consist of you know each individual unit? What what does it what does it mean for us? Because when you think about the um, the scriptures, what did God use? What was the first thing God used um, to really communicate his love? What was the first unit? The family was before the church, right? That was the first unit that God used. Um, And so we're going to look at some words of Jesus, and I want us to um, just to kind of explore, to think about our homes. And Jesus uses a passage, a parable here, uh, talking about building a home after giving us one of probably the most famous sermon that he gave, and that's the Sermon on the Mount, about about um, all these different topics about the law, about how you, um, you know, what does it mean to really murder somebody? It's actually in your mind; it can start taking place. That's where murder happens. Um, what does it mean to love? What does it mean to deal with mourning or persecution? He he really reinterpreted a lot of these themes for the church for the disciples. And then he says this. This is Matthew if you have your bibles turn to Matthew uh, chapter 7 uh, verse 24. It says this, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Let me give you a metaphor, Jesus. Let me, give, me let me make it easy for you to understand. It's like this. A wise smart man who built his house. So think about applying his truth to your life, it's like the home you live in, Westtown. It's like your individual house. What does, that, uh, what does that look like? I do find it funny when I think about the family, though, that if you notice, Adam and Eve came together, uh, they became one, and kids came only post-fall. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought that was funny. Like, like, kids didn't come before the fall, they came post-fall. You do with that truth what you may. That's an extra add-on. It's like building a house. And so here's what I I want us to think about. I want us to think about either, I know some of us don't have your own individual home, but you grew up in a home. You're either preparing to build or that you're actively building in your home. All of us are doing that. All of us are doing that right now, either you're preparing to build a house or you are building your house right now. And as you think about that, Jesus says, here 's what happens. Everyone who hears the words of mine, the Sermon on the Mount, and puts them into practice it 's like this. It's like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains, the rains came down, the streams rose. And the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So we are, Jesus is saying, we are preparing to build or actively building our house. And then he says, when you think of a life like building a house or having a house, you just need to understand the storms will come, right? They will come. So I'm wondering what storm you might be experiencing in your house right now, right? I mean, do you feel completely disconnected from your spouse? Do you feel like your dad is about ready to jump down your throat at any moment? Do you feel like you're a grown man and you have retired parents and you're not sure exactly what it looks like to honor your father and mother who are retired and you're an adult and to have them come in and influence you still, and your kids still. What is it? What is it like for them to influence? I'm feeling very protective against my parents because this is my family. Or, you know what? I need my parents to help out more. I need my parents to help out because we've got young kids, and I want them in my house. Right? I'm tired um, of the tension with my sister. I opened up the office door, the den door, and there was my brother or my son or my dad, and I caught them looking at this. And what do you do with that? When we sit at the dinner table, no one ever says anything real. That's just the way my house is. We just sit, talk about general things, vaguely, kind of, sort of, and then we go and leave. And... Um, These storms I know you feel. These storms I feel. And when you're thinking about building a house, um, what does it mean for you to have a rock, right? What does it mean for you to place your house on a rock? What does it mean to build? Because this morning, this is going to be about a foundation. I mean, I think about um, just how long it took I mean, I didn't know anything about construction. And, you know, just I was just so excited we were doing something. And I just thought, man, it took them a really long time just to, like, get everything right so they could just pour cement and that's all you have. I want to see the sucker go up. I want to see the cool things in it. But it took them a long time. And as I asked about that process, you know, so when they uh, said they brought in dirt to this part of, of where the church property was. But before that, they actually took these... Uh, They shot into the soil, right? I think they're called borings. You shoot them into the soil to see how strong it is. And there are all kinds of places around here that we couldn't build on, but here we could, right? Because the foundation was good enough. And then they decide, okay, so what do we need to do on top of the actual soil? What kind of cement do we need to have? What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, look, everyone's got a a project going on. Or preparing something, and the key here: a house is to protect you right for you to live in and and to you for you to feel protection and storms will come so here is the key: um, where is your foundation? what is it based upon? because storms will happen verse twenty six but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man, who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You ever try to get your footing when you're jogging on the beach? You're in white, kind of soft white sand. I mean, you, you, it's hard to get it. You have to. Your legs have to work so, so hard. And Jesus is saying, "Look." Your, your foundation is the difference. It's the difference between your very survival and your very destruction. The way in which you build your house, right? The way you build your house, the first, the first thing you do is build a strong foundation. If you don't do the first thing right, nothing is going to work. The foundation has to be right. And Jesus is implying, using a metaphor, that there is a rock. There is a rock upon which you may build your house. And if you do, and when those, you know, when you got, when you walked in and your spouse was texting somebody in a flirtatious way of the opposite sex, and everything inside of you just says, it's my life is over, right? When you come and you bring a report card to your father, and you know everything's based on performance. He has given you everything, but he expects you to perform this way. You think your your life is over, my household, my household experience—it's done. Hey, if that's what it's built upon, sand, then um, it's over. Your foundation is the difference between survival and destruction. So Paul takes this idea later on in the New Testament. And he uses it when they were forming all these families coming together. And we, we've already sung this. We've sung this verse already this morning. It says in uh, Ephesians 2.20, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles. The apostles were those that witnessed the resurrected Christ, in prophets with Jesus Christ himself as what the chief cornerstone the right the rock, the starting point for everything, this ultimately is key. only one foundation will stand secure. Do you believe that because um, when you think about other foundations in our area of Tampa, or why do people get married? I mean, you have the, you know, the 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 most surface of all reasons. You know, you think about well, we, you know, they're just great looking, <laughs> right? They're just marvelous looking, and I'm tremendously attracted to that person. I and mean, I've heard people that would say like that is the rock. I've heard people say, you know what, I'm. I'm, I'm pulling in about 85, and you're pulling in about 65, right? We put those suckers together, you know, and we get married, and then we buy a house. I mean, that is good stuff. I mean, we've been already together, but we do it, and get married, that's a good tax break, huh? And we're going to be living large. I mean, it makes financial sense. I've heard some say, you know what? Um, I'm getting older. And uh, I'm beginning to feel like some people are, um, like, saying, making comments about me and my age. And uh, I I just, I mean, I feel so uncomfortable. Um, There was just a, um, I think it was a progressive or it a rental car commercial. And it looks like it's a daughter who comes up and people are always asking her who she's dating. And maybe it was Enterprise. And Enterprise, the guy who comes and drops her car off. She 's like, "Hey, Ray, how you doing? This is my man? You know like i've got somebody I'm on my way. Things are right. Social pressure causes houses to form. Hey, my last name's Taylor. Your last name is this. We have pretty good social standing. Um, I think if we came together, this would be this makes sense. i don 't know who you are but." I know I love you, but I'd rather, I like the social get together here of a last name. Um, I feel like we, this other person's good looking. We're going to have good looking kids. This person's really good at sports. I want to find someone else who's good at sports because I want my kids to be athletically inclined. I mean, we have all these reasons that you hear all the time. I mean, they may not say it the first time, but you get to know people and you're like, oh, okay, you guys, you know, you had. You could see your home forming around these things. And our world says, yeah, um, that's, that's fine. I mean, build your house upon whatever it is you need to build your house. And then you actually look at Scripture, right? You look at Scripture and you think to yourself, okay, how was it designed for you and for me? How was the house designed? you got to go all the way back to the beginning, right? Because I'm going to give you this triangle, this, uh, this pyramid, if you will, stacked pyramid, on the priorities of Scripture as we move into building a home. Start with Genesis one twenty-seven, where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, out of the love of the Trinity, they said, let's make man in our own image. Let's create. And out of the love of the Trinity, creation happened, right? And so then you had uh, six days of creation, which included Adam. There was no sin in the world, and what did God say after he created everything plus Adam? He said this, It's not good. He said, Nope, it's not good for man to be alone. I want to create Eve. And so he created Eve and read Genesis 2 the two shall become one. And Adam and God had a marvelous relationship. But Adam or God saw Adam and said, You know what? I don't just want Adam to have a vertical relationship. I want him to have a horizontal relationship. I'm going to build the family. And so Eve comes into the picture. Now, when Eve comes in, the two become one. They experience intimacy. They are not wearing clothes. They feel no shame. And then we know the story leads to the serpent tempting um, Adam and Eve to eat of the tree, which they weren't supposed to eat from. But at that very moment, what did God say? God said this, you um, will die. If you disobey me, you will die. And what does God do? he doesn't kill him. God does not kill Adam and Eve. What does, God, what does God say? And if you were with us on Monday, Thursday, you heard, you knew in the Old Testament, here's what they did. They said, God said to Adam and Eve, kind of through the patriarchs, he said, okay, I'm going I'm to allow you to have a substitute. You won't have to die, but here's who I want to die, an animal. So you can bring an animal to me, and that animal has to die. So you know what would happen? There'd be a priest, and you would take the animal. It was normally a lamb or a goat, or if you were poor, you brought a bird. You would have to bring at regular intervals um, an animal to the priest. The priest was the mediator to the tabernacle or the holy place. You gave the animal to the priest. At that very moment, if you were a 12-year-old boy that took your animal to the priest, here's what you knew. My sin and the sin of my family was going to cause this animal to die. And you would hand over the animal to the priest, and at that moment, the priest kills the animal. That was the payment for sin. For the wages of sin is death. God still was holy and, and righteous, and so he gave us the opportunity to have substitutes so we wouldn't have to die. The animal then would die. Here's what the priest would then do. He would then dip his hands into the blood of the animal that had just died, and then he would walk into the tabernacle or the temple. He would walk in with blood dripping from his hands. He would walk into the holy place, and then he would walk into the holy of holy places. And there was the Ark of the Covenant, and he would take his hands, and he would sprinkle the blood on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Why? It was a receipt. It was God's receipt. God wanted to know for sure that death had come as a result of sin, because that's what the fall brought. And so as long as God say that uh, saw that, the wrath of God was placed on the animals and not man. And then all of it pointed towards the Old Testament. The one final lamb, right, without blemish, Jesus. And he was the lamb that was taken. And we just celebrated this. He was killed. And his blood, God the Father seeing his blood was our receipt so that we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. He was the perfect sacrifice. If you believe he was the once per, uh, perfect finished sacrifice, You have grace. Now imagine how thankful you would be as you handed the animal in the Old Testament that the hearing a lamb die, or a bird die, or a goat die. Imagine the pain of that. And you would think to yourself, I don't have to do that because of God's grace. But I know my sin. All the sin you just confessed during our prayer of confession here earlier, all that sin, the wages of sin is death. And that's how much God loves us. So here's what Here's what the New Testament says. Those first three, right? The love of the Trinity, understanding you're made for man for woman, woman for man, understanding that you, we are all sinful and grace is given. That's You have to love that in your heart to even think about getting married. That, that was the design. I mean, that has to be in your bones. That's the design that God had for us, right? Understanding that we are the, cre- uh, the creature and that he is the creator. And so those first three things, that's just you or your spouse as an individual before you met. God is saying, at that moment, when you are humble and you love me and you understand grace, and all of your life is grace, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find somebody else who feels about God the exact same way. Right? And that's why Paul says, do not be unequally yoked. He goes, because you understand grace like you understand, and you know that death should have come to you, but it didn't, and God loves you. Well, that's a new set of spectacles as opposed to what normal people in the world would think. Go find another one so that you are building the foundation of your house on the very same um, cement, the very same bag of quickcrete. you got to have the same bag, want the same bag. Because if you don't get that right... Then all kinds of things get funky, right? And I want to say this: I think the church, and I would say pastors, have done a massive disservice. I would say over the years at um, kind of like just guarding this a little bit better. When someone comes and asks me to marry to officiate a wedding, this is my fifteenth year of being a uh, a professional pastor. Professional marrier, (laughs) Um, like it's you feel honored. Anybody ask you that, you feel like, whoa, okay, wow, thanks. Okay, this. I mean, it's a powerful day. It's it's one of the best things I do. Uh, It's so fun. It's so happy and joyful. But you know, um, lots of times I'll have young couples come in and they'll say, like, Frank, we want to, we want you to marry us, and. I'm like, okay, so, so tell me. And they're like, well, you know, we kind of just got back into the church. And it, it, lots of times it would be like, they've been in the church now for like three months again. And they haven't been in the church since they were 16 and their mom made them go to youth group. But they come back to church. And here's what they do. Is they say, yeah, we want, because we want a church in a church. Or we want a marriage in a church, a wedding in a church. And we want a pastor to do it. Because, you know, it's going to make everyone feel good. Like my mom really wants us, and my mother-in-law really wants us, So we need to do that. And I'm like, okay. And I want them to be happy. And I want to please them. And a lot of times I know the families. And if I were to say, well, I don't know if I feel quite comfortable, it would cause tension in other relationships. So pastors, I think, have sinfully looked over that and not ask even harder questions. Because I can have someone, a couple in my office, and say, would you love the Lord? And do you love Jesus? And they can say, yes, we do. We believe in it. But sometimes their, their lives, the only reason they got back into it, it's happened to me a few times. Um, and one, I was I was so ashamed I did it. It was because I knew their families, and I said I would do it, and they both said they loved Jesus, and nothing about their lives said they loved Jesus. And it was one of the most horrible feelings. I'm up in the northern states at a massive chapel at a well-known institution. 600 people are there. And I'm up there because I love both their families, and I'm thinking, oh man, I feel weird about this. And they gave each other vows. And you know what? They lasted seven weeks. And I found that out and they ended it. I was so ashamed. I I was like, God, I mean, they can get married whenever. I mean, it's not obviously plenty of people can marry you. (laughs) Like, I can't stop. But for me to not say, hey, and ask the hard questions, because here's what I know is that if the foundation isn't the Lord and you're not willing to have those hard conversations, you know what? It's going to be off. And so um, pastors need to ask the hard questions. But think about this. When you're right spiritually with one another, then what does God say? In your house, the most intimate spot is the bedroom. And in the bedroom, here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to give you this awesome gift. When you take off your clothes and you show each other love and you won't feel shame, you know, and you'll, you'll just want to show the other person affection, God says, that this is a massive gift and it's sacred. And from that intimacy in the bedroom, here's what's going to happen. Life is going to come. Like you can have a kid in a mom's stomach, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. He says, if you love me individually and you find someone who loves me like that, you come together, and then as you find your grace and your love in Christ, you're gonna love God and me so much that you're gonna wanna take off your clothes and show each other how much you love them. And then when that happens, you know what? I'm gonna create a new person. <laughs> I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, I, when I think about it, 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 like, that's beautiful, right? I mean, is that not unbelievable? And then that little person is, every time you see it, you're gonna think about your love and being intimate. And not being shameful, all because the grace that God's given you. And I want you to do that a lot. <laughs> and make little, lots of little ones. And then I want you to build a house um, with lots of rooms because the foundation is Jesus Christ. Game on. Amen? That is, and we all have done that perfectly, which is awesome, right? Maybe not so much. Right? No, I get this. We haven't. And... But I, what I think we forget is that that is the design. That's the Bible's design for what? The family. That's how he wants it to work. He says, if you will do that, um, lots of these problems that you're having that I listed, you know what? They'll, they'll kind of be laughed at. They'll, you won't feel those things because you're not mi- sure. I mean, Lou is beautiful, no doubt. Okay. she is. But you know what? Um, there were lots of pretty girls at Florida State, but no one um, that I knew that could talk to me about the most important thing that had happened to me. And I'm so grateful um, that she knows the Lord. And I know not all of us are in marriages where you've married a Christian, but the design of that I see because it makes sense for all these decisions we've made. With Ellie being 14, we had to make so many decisions about her life. But it always comes from us, from who we are. And if our baseline truth is the same, that we're sinners saved by grace, things tend to fall into place much easier. than in the church at Corinth, Paul was getting all kinds of requests from these new converts. Hey, I want to marry this girl, and I know she's, you know... From this other pagan religion, and Paul's like, I can't do that as a pastor. I cannot marry, and that's that's the rule for me. Um, I am not allowed to marry someone who is a Christian to a non-Christian. I can't do that as a PCA ordained minister. I'm, I may not do that because um, of the way it messes up the foundation of a house. Because when you look, I found a couple of these pictures. When you think about, um, go to the yeah. You look at that! For just a, just the crack in the foundation of that house. I mean, what's going to happen to that pillar, and then what's going to happen to that room underneath it? Um, what you know, what what will happen to these homes? They'll they'll come undone. And I know right now in this room we have fractures, right? We have fractures in our foundation, and I know that not everybody was thinking about just someone else's walk with Christ when they got married. Um. But Jesus says, if you want to start a family, he has to be the cornerstone. And I'm wondering if this is a call out to every home that's represented here to say this. If he isn't, and only part of it, maybe you renovate, right? Maybe you renovate. Maybe some of you, yeah, you just, you know, you kind of renovate this area of your life and make sure that you shoot that quick crete. That same quick read down to this part of your house that you know is gonna collapse. Or maybe some of you just need to tear your house down completely and say, you know what, we need a, we need a do-over. And we're gonna build, we're gonna rebuild our house. And we're gonna make sure that, that foundation, that cement is Jesus Christ. And I think a lot of us has felt that. God saying, I know, I forgive you. No one's a finished work. Tear it down. Because it was built on money or looks or a feeling that you had when you were 22 years old that has worn off for 15 years and you realize, I don't know how I'm going to stay in this. He says, no, no, build it upon me and my grace. Find everything there and then you know what? Um, The new house that you have or the renovated house that you hand or if you've experienced a Christian home that none of them are perfect but they're solid and it feels like if all else fails, you know what I know? My dad gets a lot of love from his walk with God, that he can withstand anything, and so can my mom. And you know, when my dad's a knucklehead to my mom, and when my mom is not right to my dad, you know what I know about both of them? They don't have to have each other love them perfectly because they have the have to from God. And then what I know is that when I'm not acting right as a son or my son's not acting right to me, that I have the love and the care and the blessing of my father so I can parent. I can work my way through this parenting. Like I'm not going to disregard this son. I'm not going to become a workaholic. I'm not going to just leave my son or my daughter because I don't want to deal with them. I can deal with them because of Christ. And people want to parent then, right? You have energy because of what God's done in you to not only be a great lover and spouse, but also a father, Right? and disciplinarian, and caretaker of these little chickadees that God's given us, if, it, if the foundation is right. So here, here's what we're going to do. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take these rooms. This week, the foundation has to be right. These rooms don't matter in your house and in my house. These rooms don't matter if you don't have the foundation right. But if your foundation is the grace of Jesus, here's what I'm wondering if that undergirds the dining room, I'm wondering the dining room, right, of a Christian home, the place where the Bible says you, shouldn't, you should not sit and eat with strangers. You should be xenos philos, which is the Greek word for hospitality. You should brotherly, philos, brotherly love of xenos. Xenophobia is the fear of strangers. You should brotherly love strangers. In your home, take them and put them at your dining room table. Do you have... Do you have strangers over and do you welcome them into your house? Do you have them over? Or if you have people that aren't in your family, who, what type of people do you have come over and eat at your dining room table? What goes on in the master bedroom? We're going to talk about that room. What type of sleep can you get in your room? I mean rest. I mean you can, you can lie down next to your lover and sleep because the foundation is Jesus, right? And you have marriage where it should be and you can rest, and you can make love, like Song of Solomon. Because of how much God loves you and has given you this gift, you are freed up and don't feel the shame, right? That's supposed to happen in the master bedroom. You think about the kitchen. I think about the kitchen being a place where as fathers and mothers, we interact quickly and regularly with our kids in those moments. And Deuteronomy 6 says this. Hey, when you're coming or where you're going, when you're taking your kid and lying them down to bed, or you're waking them up and you're getting breakfast, here's what I want you to do. Talk about me. Always. When you're in the car, taking them to Ed Radice or to wherever, talk about me. Impress them upon you. Can you impress me upon them? Can you do that? We're going to talk about the kitchen. The computer room is, a, is like a den. Think of it as a den or an office Private things happen in there. Terrible and beautiful things happen in offices where normally someone wants to go get um, a private moment. I'll never forget one of my first memories I have of my dad in his den being private was I opened the door and he looked at me and I looked at him and I'm like, oh boy, what, what, and it was because I knew he didn't want me to be in there and I'm like, and he's, he is um, looking down at this open Bible, and he was praying and talking to God. He's like, hey, I'm reading the Bible and praying. Yeah, get out. <laughs> but, hey, he didn't know I was going to do that. Do you know how powerful that was for me as a kid? I just walked in on my dad, and he told me he loved me. I'm Frank Martel IV. He's Frank Martel 3rd I'm your namesake. You just kicked me out of the house. You kicked me out of the room, right? Get out. What was he saying in that moment? Like, what did that communicate to me? Hey, I'm spending time with God. Get out. Pal, you're number three on the priority list, right? It's God, your mom, and then you're the little punk, right? Get out. What? I'm not the center of your world. I'm the man. Come on, dad. No, you're not. Get out. That freaked me out. And then you know the other private things. Flip that. You know the other private things that happen in a computer room. When you walk in and you think, oh my goodness, Right? And God says, let me be the foundation for all of that. Let me be grace for your bedroom, for your computer room, for the family room where I think, and family rooms are beautiful for celebrations, right? Christmas morning, opening presents, watching a big game, eating ice cream and cake, having an awesome time, and some of the most intense family discussions about things that have happened to our family. Like, could God, could Christ undergird that room to build our homes? Could, could he? And we're going to walk through these and understand that in all of them, um, God gives you grace. But in order to deal with any of these correctly, if it's all based upon social pressure or you want to be seen right sitting here or whatever, it will not work. But if Christ is your foundation, right? You can build a home for him. You can build a true home because he is... The rock, right he is the chief cornerstone, and if you get that right, hey, man, what kind of homes could we build here i mean I mean how if 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 the bedroom and the computer room and the family room and the kitchen and the dining room are really on, and so here's what I want to say: Are you in love with Christ? Do you want to spend time with him? Do you want to talk about him because when that is that is lifeblood to your home watch out i mean our rooms will be beautiful our rooms will be full of life if not man it'll be escapism 101 i'm going to escape and use the things in the bedroom for escape i'm going to use the thing in the family room for escape in the computer room in the kitchen i mean it'll just be escapism 101 how can we not deal not deal with our pain well you just go to another room Right? And do whatever that room says, and you don't have to deal with the core issue, and that is you don't have a foundation. That's why your house is cracking. Where are you this morning? Do you need to ask God, hey, I know I just need a renovation. I know I need to come in and clean out a few of these rooms, but I got to shoot some quick-crete in the foundation and get it rock-solid. Some of you maybe just need to tear it down and say, I never built it on the Lord, and I'm ready to build my house on the Lord. And I think there, there are those of you that, that are doing this, and you realize the joy and struggle of a Christian home, because Satan hates it. Satan hates for you to actually sit and talk with your daughter about um, you know, what it means to really want a man who loves the Lord. He hates those things. He hates it when you show patience. He loves it when you blow up in anger. He loves it. He's high-fiving a demon when you do that because it just cracks. It fractures homes. And I think what we have here is an opportunity to study this. But the only way we can make progress in each one of these rooms is if we know our foundation's right. So where's yours? Could you talk about this as a family when you go home? When you, you know When you're at this new Sushi Alive after church? When you're wherever? Could you talk about that? Hey. And if it's not it's okay. God's not sitting here pointing his finger or saying he's mad at you. He's saying, "I want to be your foundation. Will you will you let me be that?" Because man, watch the type of home we could create. I think that is that's what he's saying to our church. What type of foundation do you have? Let's pray and ask God to um use this series in in, in our families. God, we know that Um, We are all messes at some level, but you offer us um, so much hope and grace. But we also know that you want us um, to live out practically your love and your grace. And that means to be, to have marriages that are so connected. God, and then out of that, it comes the kids. But only after the the marriage is right. And the marriage can only be right if each individual in that marriage founds their life on you. They find everything in what you've done for them. And if it's just a emotional roller coaster because either it's a job, as long as job is going well, as long as the kids are going well, we can have a good marriage. But as soon as one of those things happen, God, it melts the marriage down. That means it's not founded on you. And I, and I think we, we need some renovation, God. We need to build up our foundation in what you've done for us. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. May each husband and each wife and each single person in here who's praying for a spouse. That, that we will all love God and that will be the number one foundation for our homes. And only then, God, can we have the right marriage. And, we can, and, and only then can we be the right parents. God, we thank you for uh, your grace. And we thank you for giving us insight into how to live our lives for you. We love you and we need you. In your name, amen.